The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Now, I want you to start with me in chapter 25. Here's one of the mistakes you make with the Bible. You come to a number, 27, verse 1, and you reset your brain. All right, so there's something new here. Well, there's something distinct here. It's not new. It's in the overall flow of the story. So there are details that we need to make sure we rightly interpret Genesis chapter 27. If we don't have these details, for example, you're going to treat Esau as a victim. You're going to act like something wrong was done to Esau. There's nothing wrong necessarily done to Esau in the grander scheme. Now, what they all do is not right, but you can't play him out as a victim here. So Genesis chapter 25, verse 23. First important detail. Rebecca's about to give birth to twins and God speaks to her and says, two nations are in your womb, two peoples from within you shall, you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. Who's the younger? Jacob. So Jacob is going to be the younger who then is going to be served by Esau. Who says this? Who's stating this? God. So is this going to be? Yes. That's crucial. That's in your head. This is God's plan from the beginning. Verse 25, six, or five, four, excuse me. I get it right in a minute. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red and his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And after his brother came out in his hand, holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. The boys grew up. Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a quiet man. That's important in this story. You got this hunter and you got this contemplative person who thinks and you got this parental issue. Esau loved Isaac because he ate of his game. Rebecca loved Jacob. So you have parental favoritism. Isaac favorites Esau. Rebecca favors Jacob. We understand probably how Rebecca would favor Jacob because of what God has said to her. It didn't give her an excuse for playing favoritism. We can understand how she got there. Esau, I mean, Isaac, on the other hand, he's not even driven by Esau. It's not that he loves Esau. He loves what Esau cooks, driven by his belly. Now you move through chapter 26, Isaac becomes even more tainted. He does exactly what his father does on two occasions. And he pretends that Rebecca is his sister before Abimelech so that they can pass safely through. So he practices deception. You come to the end of chapter 26, verse 34. And it says, when Esau was 34 years old, he took Judith, the daughter of Barry, the Hittite, to be his wife, and Basemith, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And they made life bitter for Isaac and Rebecca. So Esau here, then steps outside of God's plan. God's plan was that the boys would not marry Canaanites. And we're gonna mix with the Canaanites. It was not what God's plan for his people and for his land. And he steps outside of it and does it. There's one more thing. 
In Genesis chapter 25, verse 39, we have this story. Jacob's cooking stew and Esau comes in from the field and he's exhausted. Verse 30. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of the red stew for I'm exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Edom means red. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. What use is my birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Now, if you're underlining marking in your Bible, you need to underline that statement. Esau despised his birthright. So whether or not Jacob takes it away from him, Esau is implicated right here. He despises his birthright. That means he treats it as worthless or he treats it with contempt. He so devalues it that he gives it away for a small bowl of soup. Now what's happening in this family are things are going from bad to worse. Now this is the, these are the people, this is the lineage that God's redemptive plan is to be worked through. And, and, and they're falling apart. And what, what you need to see here, and you need to ask this question, why, why, is, why, did, why did God, the original audience, why did he give this to the children of Israel? They just come out of Egypt. Why are they being told this story clearly? Here's the answer. Because God wants them to know that in spite of human beings, his redemptive plan will not be derailed. God's going to accomplish what he said he's going to do. Now, in Genesis 27, this is one of the few chapters in Genesis that God's not the central character. He's only mentioned in a blasphemous way. Yet, we know that God is sovereign over this incident and all the sin is, that is involved and his will is ultimately accomplished. So what you're going to see in Genesis 27, you're going to see a family unravel and ultimately be destroyed. You're going to see parental favoritism and deception at work on multiple levels. So let's start chapter 27, verse one. And the first thing I want you to see is Isaac and Rebecca progress from favoritism to deception. First, you see Isaac and his favorite, Esau. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, he called Esau his older son and said to him, my son. And he answered, here I am. He said, behold, I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then take your weapons, your quiver and your bow and go out in the field and hunt for game for me and prepare for me delicious food such as I love and bring it to me that I may eat that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, if you're, if you're just reading this in isolation, you assume this guy's on his deathbed and he just wants one more meal before he dies. Not true, he's gonna live for decades. Now, here's how much he loves the food. And I want you to see the similarity between he and Esau. Esau sells his birthright for food. Isaac's gonna give it away for food. He just, he wants him to feed him. Rebecca overhears this, so now we move to Rebecca and Jacob as they plot together. Rebecca and her favorite. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebecca said to her son Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game before me, delicious food, that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, that's Rebecca speaking. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I commanded you. Go to the flock. 
and bring me two good goats so that I may prepare from them delicious food as your father loves and you shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. So here's what Rebecca thinks. She thinks she can duplicate Esau's recipe. She can cook it in such a way that he's gonna be convinced it was Esau's meal. Jacob doesn't argue with that. He just has another problem. He says, behold, my brother Esau is a hairy man and I'm a smooth man. So in other words, Esau looked like an Ewok and, and <laughs> Jacob didn't have any hair on him at all. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, let your curse be on me, my son, only obey my voice and go and bring them to me. In other words, you let me worry about the, the implications of this. You just do what I say. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. So she duplicates it, she gets it. Then Rebecca took the best garments of Esau, her older son, so his actual clothes, who were with her in her house and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And then to solve the hairy problem, she takes skins of young goats and puts them on his hands and the smooth part of his neck. So the back of his neck, top of his hands, so that as the clothes cover everything else appears, he's now Esau. She put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son, Jacob. So when he walks in the room, what's the first thing that happens? Isaac smells. This is a quote. Mothers and fathers, by the matter. Mothers should be careful in their desire to get the best for their children, not to lead them to sin. Parents, we live in a deceptive age. We live in a world that's uh, a challenge. I think about all these seniors as they launch into the world today. It would be it would be tempting for us to give them worldly advice to accomplish worldly ends. And then justify ourselves to say, well, that's just how things are, just how things are to be. Folks, one of the reasons Christians are no longer distinct is because we don't live distinct families. That we act like the rest of the world. And here in this text, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, Esau, they're just acting like the world, just acting like everybody else as to what they do. Let's continue. Jacob now deceives Isaac, his father, to gain what is already promised. See, here's the problem I have with Rebecca and you ought to have with Rebecca. God himself spoke to Rebecca. God told Rebecca that the older will serve the younger. You see, Rebecca doesn't believe in the sufficiency of God's word at this moment. She thinks she's got to take matters in her own, on her own hands. Jacob doesn't believe it either. So he deceives Isaac to gain what God's already promised is his. So he went into his father and said, my father, he said, here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done all that you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have found it so quickly? I mean, 
you're a great hunter and everything, Esau, but good gracious, you just left. This is blasphemy what comes next. He answered, because the Lord your God granted me success. Mm. It's amazing how we'll invoke the name of God when we're doing something evil. God didn't provide this goat. Jacob went out to the back lot where the goats were behind the house and got a goat. This is not the result of some successful hunt. We proceed, verse 21. Isaac said to Jacob, please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau. So he's having some trouble here. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. Then he said, bring it near to me that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. So he came near and kissed him and Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Now, I just want to pause for a moment and make sure you see what's going on. This is wonderful storytelling, by the way. The Bible is just masterful literature. Esau is so blinded by his favoritism and so blinded over his desire to eat this meal that he allows all five of his senses to betray him. You're told at the very beginning, his eyesight is waned, so he can't see. Now, I don't know if you've ever been around a blind person. My early, when I, when I first came to Christ, the man who discipled me was a blind man. His hearing was acute. <laughs> you could not move around the room at all that he didn't know you were moving. And when I came, he wanted to touch me. He would put his hands on my face. That's how he was remembering who I was. So you see here, his eyesight fails him. His touch fails him. Now he's deceived by that as this Goat hair is placed on him, but still you would think he could tell the difference between goat hair and human hair. This dude must have been really hairy. You know what I'm saying? Number three, his taste. His taste governs what he does. He so wants that meal that he's ignoring. It's even in the flow of the text. He's questioning, he says, bring it to me. But his taste also uh, is deceived because this is not Esau's meal. It couldn't have been exactly the same, close. His smell deceives him. He smells the garment like Esau. Now you gotta think about this for a moment. Esau was a man of the field. He was an outdoorsman. So he smelled like one. So his clothes would have had a distinct odor to them. But the biggest thing that fails him is his hearing. He knows this is Jacob. He's heard that voice his whole life. But he so wants the meal and he so wants Esau to have the blessing that he ignores his senses and he proceeds. Now, before I read the blessing, here's what's got to be in your head. Esau thinks he's blessing. I mean, Isaac thinks he's blessing 
Esau. He does not think he's giving this blessing to Jacob. So he says, see the smell of my son is the smell of the field that the Lord is blessed. That means he's going to be a fertile man. Verse 28, may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of grain and wine. So his fields and his livestock are going to be plenty. Let your people serve you and the nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your brother's son bow down to you. Now this, this deeply implicates Isaac here because he knows the promise of God is that Esau is to serve Jacob, but he says it exactly in the reverse. May you, may you be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Then he concludes by invoking the blessing of Abraham. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. This Paul's right here. Don't miss this. I told you the title of this sermon is what? Look on your paper. What is it? God's unhindered plan. Folks, God's plan is fulfilled right here. It's done in a, a way that we don't want to seek approval of it, but it's done. Jacob now has the birthright. He is now the promised son. It's done in an underhanded wrong way, but God's plan is fulfilled. What God said would happen has now happened. Now there's fallout because human sin brought it to be. Human sin accomplished this. So first, the fallout to Esau. Esau experiences the consequence of despising his birthright. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? He answered, I'm your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, bless me even also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? Deceiver, supplanter. For he has cheated me two times. Now, I would take issue with that. Now, Jacob was shrewd in what he did the first time. But did Esau consciously know what he was doing when he sold his birthright? Yes, he did. You say, well, he was starving to death. What did the dude do for a living? He was a hunter. I think he could have solved it. He took away my birthright and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. Then he said, have you not reserved a blessing for me? Isaac answered and said, Esau, behold, I have made him Lord over you and all his brothers I've given him for servants and with grain and wine I've sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his brother, have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also, my father. And Esau lifted up his voice and wept. Now, if you're not careful right there, you just feel sorry for this dude. He's lost everything and he's crying. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. 
So if the Bible brings something up again, you better give attention to where it's brought up and ask the question, why is it brought up? Esau here says that his brother took away his birthright and his blessing as if they were two separate things. The text, other than Esau, does not separate those things. And when you read this in Hebrews, you're going to see that these two things are connected together. Hebrews chapter 12, I'll start with verse 15 because it's mid-sentence in verse 16. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears." Now you see from moving to verse 16 to verse 17 that birthright and blessing are seen as one and the same thing. This is what he sold and this is why he was rejected. He was rejected because he sold the birthright and he sold the birthright for a single meal. Now what's the implication, the tie that Hebrews makes to this? In Genesis 25, Esau claims he's about to die, he's starving to death. What's the implication here of why he sold the birthright? You see it? Sexual immorality. Now that ties together what he did with the Hittite and the Canaanite women. Stepping outside of God's plan. The kind of, we're getting to the character of who this man is. Now, let me just say this clearly. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. This morning, it is highly likely that I have preached this sermon while a man or a woman seated in the audience is selling their birthright for sexual immorality. I warned the seniors sitting in front of me in the last service that they better watch what they'll sell their soul for for one bowl of soup. One moment of thrill, one thing that we can get. And here's what we assume. Here's how we play around with God. We assume that while we can do that, I'll just ask for forgiveness later. What happens here with Esau? It appears when you read Hebrews, he's trying to repent and he can't. No, that's not the issue. Here's the issue. The reason Esau weeps is because Esau does not get what he wants. I don't know how many people I have dealt with who've been caught in sin in my years of being a pastor who sat in my office or in my presence and wept profusely, not because they were repentant, it's because they got caught and because they got caught, they couldn't have what they want. My friends, you better be careful what you sell your birthright for. You better be careful as to what you enter into. And in a world rampant with sexual immorality, we better wake up to Esau right here. I move on. Then Isaac, his father, verse 39, answered him and said, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. 
by your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother, but when you grow restless, you shall break his note from your, yoke from your neck. So the consequence of profaning his birthright is that he is unblessed. And here's what, here's what Isaac's saying to Esau. You're gonna live the rest of your life as a combative, untamed man. Now think about this. Think of the people that you know who have chosen the path of the world, who live an untamed, combative life. Fourth and final point. Jacob now experiences the consequences of deception. Just because he receives the birthright, friend, does not mean that he does not receive the consequences of what he has done. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing which his father blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. But the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebekah. So she went, sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said to him, behold, your brother Esau comforts himself about you by planning to kill you. Way of Cain here. Get rid of my brother. The difference is he doesn't actually carry it out. So she says, now therefore my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury, fury turns away, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereft of both in one day? So in other words, even though Jacob's her favorite, she's still sad she's losing both her sons. And Rebekah said to Isaac, I loathe my life because of the Hittite women. If Jacob marries one of the Hittite women like these, one of the women of the land, what good will, be, will my life be to me? You say, what is that? Where'd that come from? She a racist. She hates the Hittites. That's not the issue. In this negative statement, there's hope. Here's what Rebekah's saying. I, I hope that he does not marry a Canaanite. When he goes to Laban, may he find a wife as God intends it. So there's hope in this statement because this is what's gonna happen. He's gonna go to Laban and there he's gonna find a wife. Now that's a whole big story. But I want you to see four things, four consequences, there are more, but four consequences Jacob encounters in his life because of his deception right here in chapter 27. Number one, his brother pursues him and tries to kill him. And this goes on for years. He lives in fear of his brother taking his life. Number two, he never sees his mother again. The whole favoritism thing between them, it's over because they're never gonna see each other again. Number three, when he does get to Laban, guess what Laban does to Jacob? He deceives him. We'll pick that story up next. Number four, he's gonna have a bunch of boys. Bless. House full of boys. Would you like to guess what his boys do to him with his son Joseph? They deceive him. Jacob lives a life of the consequences and the ongoing pattern of the sin of deception for the rest of his life. Next week, we will see further how the continuation of the seed plays out. Now, we come to the end of chapter 27, and we've got to ask the question, how do we apply this? What do we do? Do we just jump into this and just make moral application to it? Or 
or as we've been trying to do, how do we see the gospel here? How can you see the gospel from Genesis chapter 27? Well, you got to look at the big picture of the Bible. And let me just give you one big principle. And I'm going to give you two biblical illustrations of this. I could give you many more, but I'm going to give you two. Here's the big principle. Human deception will not hinder the redemptive plan of God. Human deception will not hinder the redemptive plan of God. If it could, you're toast. If human deception could thwart the plan of God, then there is no redemption. God is going to carry out his plan in spite of sinful human beings. You see this right away in Genesis chapter 50. As Joseph in Egypt is explaining to his brothers, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. And Joseph doesn't mean his own life. It's not what he means. When he says God meant it for good, he means to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. In other words, the reason you guys threw me in that well and sold me to slavery is so God could save his people from Egypt. It's God's plan. Let's go to Acts chapter two. In Acts chapter two, Peter is preaching at Pentecost. He's days removed from the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And he states to the huge audience standing in front of him, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. In other words, you people know he was the son of God. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Could that be any clearer? Let me ask it this way. Was it God's plan that Jesus die on the cross? Yes, it was his definite plan according to the foreknowledge of God. Now watch him implicate the human being now. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now I don't have time to go into depth on it, but here's what you find around the death of Jesus. You find religious leaders practicing deception who get in partnership with political leaders who practice deception, who ultimately are able to pull this off because of one of the very 12 people who followed Jesus practices deception and betrays the Lord Jesus and hands him over to sinful men who then in a mock fake trial condemn him to death and take him out and crucify him. But here's what happened on the cross, friend. The one to whom no deception was found in his mouth. The one who never deceived. Who lived a sinless life on this earth. Hung on the cross and died the deceiver's death. He died for you and for me. 
people who don't have children make statements like this. Kids are so honest. Yeah. We got a bent toward deception. And we live in a world of deception. It is everywhere. It's rampant. Thanks be unto God that in spite of human deception and even through human deception, Jesus Christ carried out the redemptive plan and saved deceivers. Now that has implications on the rest of your life. So we don't take the attitude, well, you know, Jacob was the one chosen there. He was able to deceive and worked out fine. No. The New Testament wants to make sure that you don't make that false application, that you clearly understand how you as a Christian are to live your life. And that is that human deception must be renounced by followers of Christ for the sake of gospel clarity. In 2 Corinthians chapter four, it says, therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. It means even though we're surrounded by deception, it's everywhere. I mean, folks, think about this. It's dominating the news right now. We don't even know who's deceiving who. You know what the answer is? I don't even have to know the details. Everybody deceiving each other. It's how it works. And you can look at that and lose heart. You could, you could give up. Maybe some of you come for a church that practiced deception regularly. Maybe that's how you ended up here. And, 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 and rightly so, I understand. You're going, what, where, is it, where is it here? So I'm going to say this to you. This church seeks to live what I'm going to say next in verse 2 but this isn't a perfect place. You know why? There are people here. But to the people of God, I call you to what Paul called the people of God to at Corinth, a corrupt, deceptive city. Here's what he said. But we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways and we refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. There's two levels here. There's two levels. Number one, the way you do your business, the way you go about your education, the way you treat your neighbors, the way you live your life in this city, in this community, in the work world, is to be done with honesty and with integrity. Amen. Now, here's what's true. Some of you know this. This has happened in this church. Some of you will lose your job for being honest. Be Christ-like. Renounce deception. That means call it what it is. Do not participate. Now, Paul's got a deeper meaning here. This, is, this, this makes me sit up on the edge of my seat. He's not saying only, hey guys, don't be deceptive in your life. Here's what he's saying. Church, don't practice deception. Don't pretend something. Don't use underhanded ways. And when I was lost, just before I came to Christ, I got invited, I can still remember, I got invited to this little country church and it was ice cream deal or something or other. And 
So I went because I was like, Isaac, my belly was driving me. I'm like, man, ice cream sundaes, banana splits. And you're going along fine. And all of a sudden the preacher gets up. Well, we appreciate the fact you came for ice cream sundaes. We got something to tell you here. Then he commenced to do this smooth presentation and raise your hand and do this. I'm lost as a goose and I'm sitting back there. You know what I said? This is baloney. This is underhanded. That dude's trying to trick me into doing something. By the way, give lost people credit. They're smart. And what Paul's saying is, we don't use deception to trick somebody into believing. Here's what we do. We step into the light and we preach Christ clearly. And then we take the consequences. Because here's what you know. Here's what you know. Proved it this week with Bernie Sanders. Here's what you know. You're clearly a Christian in this society. It'll cost you something. So here's the tendency. Let's just kind of tweak it a little bit. Let's just, you know, twist it just a little bit so we can kind of go along with everybody else and, you know, fit in. Hear me. Hear me on this. More of us are acting like the deceivers in chapter 27 than we may even realize. What was driving everybody was stuff. It was something. If I do this, I get something. Here's the issue. Do we renounce that for the sake of Christ? I call you brothers and sisters to renounce deception for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he redeemed us deceivers that we might live our lives as unto him. Let's pray. Father, we come now before you and we appeal to you, O God, that you you would forgive our evil ways. We thank you that through Christ there is forgiveness and there's redemption. I dare say there's weightiness in this room of men and women through the Holy Spirit have been convicted of their deception. And they turn to you today and confess that sin and repent of that sin and turn to you to follow you. Those who are in Christ, God calls us now to think clearly of what it means to follow Christ and what it means to renounce craftiness and deception and to live open lives in the light of the glory of the gospel. Call people to yourself now, I pray and I plead in Jesus' holy and righteous name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.